morning, church. Oh, that was, that was awesome worship, amen. Man, how, how good is it that we get to come together and just like without fear or favor of man be able to just worship the Lord together, amen? Right, oh my gosh, so good. So good. I love being able to do it with you and, and just like so much that the Lord wants to do in us. I, I feel like so much, so much dovetails what the Lord wants to speak today. Um, so hey, listen, let's just, uh, let's just pray real quick before we jump into the message here. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would just speak to our hearts, our minds. Father, we pray that you would open our ears. Father, we just, uh, we surrender to you our every um, need, hunger, desire, Father, that we would be a people in tune and in step with what you're doing uh, today in the church, in this day and age, Father, and as your people in the world today, God, we just surrender to you and we just uh, open our hearts to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So this morning we are, uh, we're in this series, we're talking about wisdom for living. Amen. And, and uh, I, I've loved being able to just hear kind of our pastors talking about the different pictures of, of, of wise living. And I love that Ralph even pointed out that the spirit of wisdom is the spirit of Jesus. Amen. And uh, so it just, it, it was making me think uh, just, I have a quote that came from C.S. Lewis that came to my mind. I want to share it with you guys. And talking about how wisdom shapes our lives as we grow into the likeness of Christ, which was, is our goal, right? Our, as Christians, it literally means little Christ or Christ-likeness. As we're trying to become like Christ and live a Christ-like life, that uh, we should grow more to become who God made us to be as we live wisely. And so I just want to share this with you. This is from C.S. Lewis's uh, book, Mere Christianity. He said, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He intended, uh, he invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Isn't that kind of interesting? Right? Kind of paints a picture that as like we are designed to become like Christ. That's true. But as we pursue the Lord and surrender our desires, wills, and purposes to him, we truly find out who we're really meant to be. Right? Amen? So uh, just kind of have that in mind as we're talking about living wisely. I almost said living wisely. Living wisely. That wasn't going to come out right. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Tom. So we're just going to jump in here. Um, As we're talking about living a life full of wisdom, today we're talking about uh, character and temperament. Character and temperament. Now, just at the top end, I just want to say that, you know, nobody, nobody does, you know, character and temperament perfectly. Amen. Right? I don't know about you, but like, th- listen, there, there, there are times I feel like, like, man, Lord, I'm just going to be full of peace today. And then like, you know, somebody steps in front of you in line at Wawa, and all the peace is ruined. You know what I mean? God bless them wherever they're at this morning. Um, that was my experience. Um, right? But like, there's, there's, we, can, we can have like so many things just kind of like shatter our peace. And sometimes today, like, you know, peace is just marketable. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I see so many apps for like peaceful music and and how to, how to be at peace in a crazy world. Like, there's a, there's a market just for peace, right? Like, do you know that, like, our God is, like, known as, like, like Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace? You know what I mean? Like, we should, be, we should show the world what peace looks like, right? Amen? 
Sadly, I think so many times today, we as Christians, we fall into one of two camps. We either feel like we are the ones responsible to fix everything in the world, or we fall on the other side where we're like, we can't do anything, so we shouldn't worry about it whatsoever, right? The reality is that neither of those two extremes are really what we're called to be as the body of Christ. Amen? So we're talking about character, uh, and we're talking about temperament. So we're going to jump in here. Proverbs 14.29. 14.29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Right? In other words, you could say uh, 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 glorifies foolishness, exalts folly. You could say it that way too, right? The other translations will say that. He was slow to wrath, has great understanding. He was impulsive, exalts folly. Now, just like I said, some bouncing statements here. Um, I want to I be clear here. We're going to talk about kind of the, some, some our buzzwords this morning, for lack of a better word, is that uh, we're talking about like, like wrath, anger, violence, um, hate, peace, patience, right? All these things. I want to make it clear. Sometimes we can have this idea in the church that we are not supposed to be angry. And that's not biblical. Okay? We should be angry when we see things that are evil, right? We as the church should be angry when we see injustice in the world, right? That's part, we, we should be, right? But we need to control that in a godly way, Amen. right? It gets channeled in a godly direction. That's what we're called to be as Christians, right? Because if that's the case, God's telling you and I not to be angry, but all throughout the Old Testament, God sees evil in the land and he's constantly angry about it, right? God hates sin, you know, God is full of anger towards sin, but he loves you and I, right? The whole reason Jesus went to the cross is to separate sin from the sinner, right? So we have to be intentional that when we are talking about patience and temperament, doesn't mean that we're never, like, we never experience anger, that if we experience anger, somehow we're doing something wrong. No, no, anger is a response to an input that says something is wrong and needs to be corrected, right? It's how we generate, how we channel that towards a godly direction. Amen? Right? Because just on our own, the natural impulse of man will say, hey, something's wrong here. I'm going to fix it the way I want. Right? And that never is going to do what God wants. Amen? So we're going to, uh, our next verse here, Proverbs 16, 23. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Interesting he- word here. Uh, that word spirit is the word in Hebrew. It's uh, ruach, right? It sounded like that's Klingon. It's not. It's Hebrew, right? It's the word ruach, and uh, it's an automonopoeic word. Everybody say automonopoeia. I know. I'm sorry. I just made you do that, but that's, right? My mom's an English teacher. She'd be proud. She'd be proud I just said it right. Um, Right, it's automonopoeic, right? And, and it's, it's, it's the word for, right, in Hebrew it's the word for um, breath, wind, blast, and spirit, right? It's the same word that when God came and breathed life into Adam, it uses that word that he breathed, you know, that's ruach into Adam, right? He breathed life into Adam. And it's, it's we, you, real, you don't realize that we use that word more than we realize. It's true, right? What's the, everybody, how would you make the sound for wind? Go ahead. Yeah, okay. How would you make the sound for breath? How would you make the sound for blast? Right? Notice how they all sound the same? 
right? It's, this word ruach, it's, it's, it's definition, what it means in Scripture depends on how it's being used, right? Because, like, there's the breath, there's the wind, right? There's a blast, right? That's, that's how it's, it, it, right? It's automonopanic. It sounds like what it, you know, what's it, it's like the word rocket. Rocket. Right? The word buzz. What's buzzing sound like? Buzz. You know, right? It's automonopoeic, right? And so what it is is that when it uses this word ruach for spirit, it's this idea that you saw something happen, you're angry about it, and you're like, ruach. Right? We use this term all the time. You ever stub your toe? Right? You're like me. Do you do the, do you do the stub toe dance? Right? Because I do that, right? I do the pain dance when I stub my toe, right? I'm like, right? You know, I do the dance. And, and we use, right, so we use that word more often than we even realize. You didn't know this. You spoke Hebrew. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You're more, you're more sanctified than you realized. Um, right, it's, it, is, it is the sense that this thing, right, and it, what the, like the key of this is that the person who can, you're angry and you're just like, right? If you can control that, then you are greater even than somebody who can take a city. Right? Because the hardest thing to control is not what's out here, it's what's in here. Right? Self-control. Your first of you, who has their fill-ins with them today? Do you have your fill-ins with you? Awesome. Amen. I'm so excited about the fill-ins. I worked these real hard. I think everything's spelled right. I'm pumped for them. I can't say that very often. I said this in first service, but the truth is I have spent maybe two days in my entire life as a substitute teacher. And can I just tell you, I'm a much better pastor. God did not call me to be a teacher, uh, I, 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 nor a substitute teacher for that matter. Um, so your first fill in here, it's common today to mistake patience for weakness. Mm. Right? You can, you can hum at me if something hits you that way. You don't have to amen. That's okay. Right? It's common today to mistake patience for weakness. One of the things that I have down here, this is your next fill-in. So far, one of the hallmarks that I've noted anyway uh, that has marked this decade is that culture has traded patience and perseverance for anger and violence. Have you noticed that? There's, we are, we are so, uh, people who study societies are going to have some kind of terminology for all this one day when we look back at the 2020s. But there is some, we're in the middle of some kind of like, like cultural shift that is taking place that we as the church can't be blind to, right? And part of its hallmark is that patience and perseverance, which were always the hallmarks, which were always the things that defined great social movements of American history, have been exchanged for anger and violence. Uh, all throughout history, patience has always been considered a virtue, right? We all have heard that, patience is a virtue. However, today's society demands a new doctrine of virtues, one where violent action on perceived wrongs is considered virtuous, even if time proves that those actions are wholly misguided. Did you hear that? Right? That, we, that there is a new doctrine of virtues, one where if you're angry about something, you should do whatever you feel like you need to do to correct that wrong, even if you, 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 it was misdirected or misguided, or just wrong entirely. That's okay because you were angry at the time that it happened, right? That is not the biblical picture, right, of, of God's people, right? That's not, the, that's not the picture of Jesus, amen? Right? If, anybody made, if anybody was correcting wrongs in his day, it was Jesus. You know what I mean? Um, 
it makes me think, I'm talking about like patience equaling weakness. Uh, it, it is, I, I feel like I see that more and more patience is mistaken for weakness. But you would never say that to like a, like a Marine Scout sniper, would you? <laughs> right? The, has anybody ever heard the story of uh, uh, Carlos Hancock? He's one of the most famous Marine Corps snipers of all time. Traveled uh, over the course of three days, crawled two miles to eliminate a North Vietnamese um, general. Like one of his last missions in history. Three days in the jungle, on his belly, crawling. Nobody would be like, that guy's weak. Right? Like you wouldn't say that about him, right? Right? That takes great strength, right, to remain in control. When I did, a, I was in high school, I did ROTC, right? Which, and I, we, the first thing that we learned to do is like do marching. You know what I mean? Stand at attention, all these different little things. And uh, one of the reasons is because like, we, how can you be, ever be trusted to work with people in critical situations if you can't even control yourself, right? Yeah, self-control is the hallmark of warriorhood throughout history. You know what I mean? But today, virtue, true virtue is anger and wrath, right? That's, that's the picture, you know what I mean? Um, and that can't be weakened. And, and what we have to be careful about is that as a church, it can be so easy to feel like we need to adopt that, that picture of virtue. That's not biblical. Amen? So, um, and just I want another balancing statement here, okay, right? Because, again, the church falls into one of two places. We can either find ourselves in the place of, like, like we see evil and darkness, and so we just want to, like, flamethrower the darkness and let God sort out all the fallout, right? Or we can fall into the people who are like, oh, there's evil over there. I'm just going to pop up the picket fence. I'm going to stay back. Evil stay over there, I'm going to stay where God is, and we're just not going to have any place with each other. When the reality is like, we, we're neither of those places, right? We need to be the church that the, the light of the love of Jesus, the light of the gospel, enters into dark places. Evil is exposed, and we're able to confront it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Right? That's the picture that we're supposed to have. Not this, not, and, and we can't fall into, because you're, you're either going to have a church that is just ready to decimate people in their pursuit of righteousness, or you're going to have a church that is so passive that makes no change, right? Neither of those are the picture of how Jesus did ministry, right? Um, we'll talk about that more here in a moment, right? Patience and peacefulness does not equal passiveness. That's not a fill-in, that's just the truth. Right? Peacefulness and passiveness does not, e- or I'm sorry, peacefulness and patience does not equal passiveness. Right? All throughout Scripture, we are called to be salt and light, that we're supposed to be active in the Word, right? That we, we, just like Pastor Jim said, right, we wield the sword of the Spirit. We are intentional to go in and make change all throughout the world, confronting evil with the power of the name of Jesus, right? But we don't do it the way the, the, way the rest of the world does, right? Um, our actions in confronting evil, hear this, must reflect the character of our Lord. Do you hear that? Our actions when confronting evil must reflect the character of our Lord. Right? Jesus confronted evil at every turn through Scripture. He was changing the social norms every turn through Scripture. Right? But we, he did it. Why? He wasn't just doing it because evil existed and he was going to fight it. Jesus was on a rescue mission to humanity right? And he gives us the picture that, listen, we are to hate sin, but we are to love sinners because we're sinners, only saved through grace, right? 
by faith through grace. So, number two, patience and self-control. Sorry, I lost my notes. (laughs) Patience and self-control allow capability and opportunity to collide. Do you hear that? Patience and self-control allow capability and opportunity to collide. That's one of the benefits. Talking about living wisely, one of the benefits in life as we are going to exercise patience and self-control is that God's ability, capability that He gave you, that allows that to collide with God's opportunities. Right? That's what we talk about being a Kairos moment, right? A God-ordained appointed moment. Have you ever found yourself somewhere, like you're able to just minister to the right person at the right time, pray with somebody who just needs prayer in that one moment that had you been too early or too late, it wouldn't have happened? Just wave at me if you've ever had that moment happen. Yeah, amen, right? There's these opportunities that come along that God has appointed. If we try to rush ahead of God, we're going to miss it, right? If we try to make it happen on our own time, we're going to miss it. Right? God doesn't, that's not what God wants you and I to do. We're to do it in His timing, right? And the only way we do that, right, we have to, so many times, I, 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 can, I, I can't think of very many times I have regretted being patient in life. Can I tell you that? But there are so many times I have regretted being impatient, you know? Especially like in an argument. Have you ever been in an argument, you know? Well, I'll just save that for a moment. I'm going to talk about that in a second. That's, that's my next fill-ins here. Oh, there it is. Okay. James 1, 19, verse 20, uh, 19 to 20. All right. So then, my, brother, uh, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the la- wrath of God— I'm sorry, for, I'm, I'm all mixed up. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, one more time. Uh, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath— for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I love that, just that first part, let every man be swift to hear, uh, hear, slow to speak. Because can I tell you, I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever had like a moment, Gab and I get sometimes get into debates and we're talking about, you know, what's our favorite this or that. And, and we have like a disagreement on like what our favorite thing is. And she'll have like a whole case laid out in her mind, you know, about like why that thing's the best. And it seems like you know, if we have any kind of a debate, she's like a supercomputer of like thought process. You know what I mean? And she's just like, she is accessing data from all over her mental mind space. And I feel like I'm sitting over there trying to make my case on like an Etch-A-Sketch. You know what I mean? Guys, just wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. Amen. (laughs) Right? There's this, you know, you could get into these, like, she is so quick. Like, she's just so fast. She thinks so quick. And I think so, like, I'm trying to pay, like, and, and like, the thing is, like, I'll have a point I want to make, and she's already countered my point before I finish saying it. <laughs> and she's right. You know? <laughs> that's stupid. That's just sketch, you know? Right? So it's good that we be slow to speak, you know, quick to listen. It's, there's something powerful in that. Because the truth is, we can all be in this place where, like, if we're, especially if we're, like, in a debate with somebody, we're, like, we're not really listening to what the other person's saying. You know what I mean? We've heard like 30% of what they had to say, and we've already formulated our opinion and response, right? That's not the picture, right? That's not the picture. And why? Why is that not the picture? Because here's what it is, right? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, right? That word wrath, that's not just talking about being angry. Again, like I said, it's not, it's not, that's not just anger, right? That's anger moved to action based on that anger, right? That's doing something because we're angry, right? You stub your toe and you hit the wall. You know what I mean? That's the picture. That's wrath to a degree. Right? Um, 
And here's the thing, right? Uh, Point number three there. Okay, yeah, good. I'm on the right track. It is well documented in the field of psychology that our feelings of anger, or in this case, wrath, bolster our sense of self-righteousness. Did you hear that? Our feelings of of anger or wrath will bolster our sense of self-righteousness. The truth is that when we feel angry about something, we are more likely to feel like whatever we're angry about, we're right about right? That goes hand in hand. And that's so true, right? And this is, this is a reality. Listen, don't look now, but like election season's coming, right? This is like, like political science. This is what it's all based around. It like, it, it's no secret that if you want people to vote, you just got to get them angry, right? We see that, man, if, if 2020's told us nothing else, you know what I mean? It's that angry people will vote, you know what I mean? Like, you can, if you can make people angry, you can move them to action. And they'll feel right. Whatever their actions are, they're going to feel right about it because they're angry about it. You know what I mean? And that's, we have to, like, that's the part of the, of the, the, that's the part, that's the ruach, right, that we have to surrender to the Lord. Right? That's that part of ourselves. We have to give back to the Lord. We have to, we have to put that on the cross. Right? We have to pick up the cross and follow Jesus in that. Um, all right, your next fill in there. The only thing that courage and wrath have in common is adrenaline. Right? It's true. Because again, I'm not talking about not being angry because there's evil in the world. There is. There is evil in the world. Man, if, there, if the, the, the past, you know, what year are we in? Four years. Three years. It's been so long. Right? I don't even know how old I am sometimes. So I'm getting to that age. Right? So, like, there, there's this, we get this idea that, man, there's evil, and we have to confront evil, and it's our job as the body of Christ to bring the light and the hope of Jesus into dark places. We are not placid. We are not passive. We are advancing the gospel into those places. In that process, right, we have to make sure that we walk in courage and not in wrath. Amen. Right? Because some of the most courageous things that you and I can do sometimes is be patient. Right? Just go to the DMV and you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Patience, sometimes one of the most courageous things we can do is listen. Right? Sometimes one of the most courageous things we can do is pause. And there's time for action. And I just want to hear, and, and I didn't plan to say this, but I feel like this is, this is I feel like the Lord is for us today. There, there is time for action. There is. Right? There is time to, to, to move and move quickly. But we do that as the Lord gives us provision and direction, right? The battle that you and I are going to face in life, let's not forget that it already belongs to the Lord, right? Before it has entered your life, it belongs to the Lord. Before you have faced the challenges that you're challenged with right now, God has already seen it and has provided a solution that is either here now or it's coming. And sometimes that solution involves us being patient right? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And, the, the, and sometimes the only time we're going to lose that fight is when we start fighting it on our own means. You know what I mean? And so many, listen, it, I, I am like this close to graduating from the YouTube School of Theology. I've seen so many videos of people's opinions on what the Bible says about stuff, right? You can, you can get every kind of wind of doctrine right on YouTube, you know? It's all there. And I can see so many times that there is this, this, this 
urge inside the church as a whole that's like, we got to do something. we got to fight it on our own. And that's what it's like, right? We're just boxing at the wind. We have to realize like, like that battle that you're so afraid of, it already belongs to the Lord, right? It already is in his hands before it came into your life, right? And there's going to be a way, like God has a way for you to fight it, but we fight it in the power of our Lord, not in the power of our might. Amen? Anyways. All right. So what's this? Uh, let's just uh, kind of sum this up here. I have a, uh, a good analogy, not analogy. I have a good um, picture here. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse uh, 4 to 7. This is, uh, just to, to kind of preface this here, this is Saul has pursued David, right? Because God has anointed David to be king. Saul's getting the picture, right, that David's next in line. Saul's made the decision that he's not ready to retire, and uh, he is now pursuing to try and kill David, right? And so David is on the run from Saul and his army, and David is trying to uh, just survive. And if anybody should feel wronged by this situation, it should be David, right? I don't know about you, but I've never had a situation where a, a king of an entire nation is trying to um, uh, um, um, end my career early, so to say, right? Uh, so Saul is pursuing David, and they come to this place called the Crags of the Wild Goats, right? Which apparently has a lot of caves. I've never been there. Some people who have been to Israel might have known what I'm talking about. I've never seen it. But there are caves over the areas where goats and, and sheep would oftentimes shelter or hide in from the heat or from the weather. And so David and his mighty men are in one of these caves, one of these crevices. And the Bible describes that, leading up to this moment, that um, King Saul, in all of his greatness, um, has to use the bathroom, but there are no bathrooms. And so Saul decides to indispose himself into a cave, right? Which just so happens to be the very cave that David and his men are in, right? Now, Dave, here's the picture, right? This is the perfect scenario for David. In fact, if you and I were like to try and judge David's actions in the moment, I think if I were among David's mighty men there, I'd be like, David, this is like, this is God's appointed moment. This is that Kairos moment. Right? And, and that's what his mighty men say right here, picking up in verse 4. It says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord has said to you. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do with him as seems good to you. So they're saying, David, this is the right moment. After all, I mean, we could make a case. David should put Saul into early retirement, let's say, right? Because, because this is just self-defense. David's just trying to live. He's just trying to survive, right? He has every right to do this. God has already anointed David to be king, right? Saul's the one in sin. David's done everything right. He should take Saul's life because Saul has essentially become God's enemy, right? Every, the, the, to, to David's men, the stars have aligned, right? This is what God has wanted from the beginning. This is it. This is your moment. So look what happens here. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And now after it happened, David's heart was troubled in him because he had cut Saul's robe. Verse 6, then he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went, from, went his way. 
there's this picture. David, David is a master warrior. If anybody is equipped to eliminate his opponent in a dark cave, right? The person, like, like David's the most dangerous man in the room here, right? David, David is an expert warrior. He's an expert in espionage. Like, he has done the warrior thing. And so he creeps up to Saul. And I don't know, I don't know maybe what his mindset was. I don't know how much of a battle David was going through in his mind. But he, he decides that, you know what? He's going to prove to Saul that he's not his enemy. And so he just, he cuts a corner. Right? And Saul goes out. And Saul's going back to his men. David comes out of the cave and does one of the most bravest things he could do in that moment. Because it could have cost him and his men their lives. Because they're cornered. They're the ones in the cave. There's an army outside and he comes out to Saul and he shows him. I could have taken your life. But I didn't. I'm not your enemy. And in fact, David's heart is crushed. Because he even touched Saul's robe with the knife, right? There is this part of David that is so humbled, so crushed, so broken that he would even touch the robe of the Lord's anointed because David understood something that most of us can get wrong is that God, it was God's job to remove his anointed one, not David's job, right? It was his job. It was God's job to fight David's battle, right? There would be many battles David would engage in. This one was the Lord's because Saul was the Lord's, right? David could have reasoned it a thousand different ways, but something happened in David's life that made him this way. David went through the process of crushing and brokenness and a repeat of crushing and brokenness and crushing and brokenness. That doesn't mean God was not favorable to David. God's hand and grace was all over David. But something was happening in David's life all throughout his life that created a softness in his heart even when the world was wicked and insane. Right? The Bible describes that we are like jars of clay. We're vessels. We're earthen vessels. Right? When, uh, one of the times I was able to visit Pete's uh, home, uh, him, and, him and Kathy's home, and uh, he has like a little station set up for like doing his his clay, right? He, he does like pottery and clay and makes all kinds of things. His, I've said it before, but his like cups and stuff are my favorite. Um, and there's a, next to his, uh, his, his station, there's like a pile of like old clay scraps, right? That's just, it's old, it's dried out, but what he'll do is he'll reconstitute it and he'll make it into fresh clay and reform and remake it. And this process of forming and pressing down and forming and pressing down and forming, that's not right, go start over again. And forming and that's not right, start over again. There is this process of refining that God wants to put you and I through so that we can become the vessel that we're actually useful for in the Lord's kingdom, right? And if we, we try to, imagine if like, like a, a pot is getting formed on the wheel. Imagine if it's like, I don't want to be a pot, I want to be a vase. And it just refuses to become pot-shaped. Well, all it can do, God can take it off, it set it aside, and let it dry out until it can be broken up and reconstituted and go through the process again. Sometimes one of the greatest things God can do for you and I is tell us no. Right? One of the greatest things God can do for you and I to be effective in his kingdom is say, Wait. Right? Be patient. There's a verse that Gab and I have held on to so much, Exodus 14, 14 over the years. It's been a core verse we come back to time and time again. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. Amen? Because if you're like me, I don't like that verse. (laughs) Right? I want to do something about it. God doesn't want you to do something about it. He wants to do something about it for you. Right? That's our Lord. Your final fill in here. When we allow God to fight our battles, we get the victory and God gets the glory. Right? Do you hear that? When we allow God to fight our battles, we will get the victory and God will get the glory. I don't know about you, but man, when God does something, when God does the suddenlies or the breakthrough moments in my life, they are so much better than if I try to make them happen. Right? Because I will exhaust myself trying to take matters into my own hands. Right? But I, man, when we just continue in that place of, Lord, no, this is in your hands. This Saul that is pursuing me in life, that's in your hands. This thing that is just not letting me have rest or peace, I'm going to keep giving this into your hands. Man, when God deals with it, he deals with it completely, right? Man, the most, the most amazing thing we can do is trust the Lord to be the one who attains our victory. If God, I mean, God did not withhold Jesus from the cross on your behalf. Why do you think he would abandon you in your trouble now? Amen. Amen. So, hey, listen, will you stand with me here as we close, if you're able? Amen. Man, the Lord, I, I feel like he's doing so much I, between even the words at the beginning of service here and, and uh, you know, Pastor Jim, there is such a call for us to step out of this place of being reactionary and start being an active church that's salt and light. And, and I'm not saying you guys aren't, but I'm saying that we as the church as a whole in the world, the body of Christ, it is an active mo- moving of, of God's presence in our lives and us being joined actively with God that brings salt and light into the world, the gospel to where it's supposed to be. And we, are, are, we, can't, we can't do that if we're afraid. We can't do that if we're, we're afraid that God has forgotten us or let us go. We can't do that if we're trying to take matters into our own hands. We do that as we trust God to be the one who already owns the battle. And he is already active in you and my life. Mm, I feel like the Lord's just, he has you. He knows how crazy it is. God's not sitting here looking at the, the, the different things going on in your life and is any more scared than like God looking at like the crazy stuff going on like in Russia, North Korea. Like God's not sitting up in heaven being like, I didn't intend this. This is crazy, right? God's not afraid of what's going on in your life. One of my favorite phrases uh, is that to the infinite, which is God, all of our finites are equal, Right? God is no more or less capable of doing something in your life or doing some kind of miracle around the world. He is totally, completely able to meet you where you're at in your place of need. Will you trust him? Will you wait on him? Will you be still and let him fight for you? This morning, Lord, we pray that, Father, you would help us to be a people who are so surrendered to the spirit and the character of Jesus. That as we act and move and live and, and, and be the church of today, that, Father, you would empower us by your spirit to see the battle won your way, to see the evil confronted in your character and your fashion. 
Lord, we pray that you would so pour out your spirit upon us, that we would be the church. That, Father, thank you. You've designed each and every one of us here today to be here for such a time as this, in this craziness, in this chaos, in these situations that, God, you have a plan for us. Lord, thank you that you are not restrained by our capability, that, God, you're not able or not able to do something because of anything we do, that, Father, we are able to see victory in the battle because of you, Jesus, and because of you alone. And so, Father, this morning, all around the room, we just surrender every battle that we're facing to you, Father. We put it in your hands. We thank you that we need only to be still. Father, we this morning choose to be still and know that you are God. In the name of Jesus. If you agree this morning, church, can you say amen? Amen. 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 Well, thank you for being with us, church. Hey, listen, if you need prayer for anything, there are going to be uh, some of our, our prayer folks up here that would love to pray with you. If you're here and maybe it's your first, second, or even third time, and you haven't had a chance to stop by our welcome room, we have a gift there for you. We'd love to say hi and, and, and just get to know you. And church, otherwise, thank you for being with us. We are praying that you have a blessed and victorious day. Amen.